Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Hey, before we get started, um, LaMonica told me that she found, or maybe one of the boys found, a ring, a very nice lady's ring with a blue stone in the middle of it. She showed it to me. It was nice. Um, if you have lost a ring with a blue stone, be sure and see LaMonica. She has your ring. Okay. Hope that you're having a blessed week. It is officially spring. You know it's spring because we have beautiful spring flowers here. Thanks, Cindy, for... Uh, where is Cindy? There she is for... Uh, for all the work she does keeping our building looking so nice with her flower arrangements. We are continuing our sermon series through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to wrap it up next week. But we're in this series, and I've been trying to focus especially on what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. Because I mentioned a few weeks ago, Jesus is the ultimate authority on all things spiritual. And we have been spending quite a bit of time in John chapters 14, 15, and 16 in that upper room where Jesus is talking to his disciples with the last time before the cross. But that's not the only time that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit all throughout the Gospels. For instance, in Luke chapter 11, he says this, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Spirit to those who ask him. What Jesus is trying to teach us is God is good. And our Heavenly Father gives good gifts. God wants you to have good gifts. I heard about a mother who was listening to her three year old daughter say her prayers one night. The little girl said, Thank you for mommy and daddy and for my brother and my sister the puppy, all the things that three-year-olds pray for. She got to the end of the prayer and she said, and ready or not, here I come. Amen. <laughs> and I kind of like that. You know, there's an eagerness there, right? And I think there's an eagerness to Jesus when he is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit in John chapters 14 through 16. Ready or not, here he comes. And Jesus wanted those disciples to know he wanted all of us to know that we don't need to fear anything that the Holy Spirit will do in our lives because our Father is good and He wants to give gifts that are good and He has sent the Holy Spirit to help us. And one of the areas where we especially need help is in the area of obedience. This morning I want to talk to you about obedience and, and I want to do it through the context of the Holy Spirit. So look at John chapter 14, there in the upper room. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now let me stop right there for just a second. I love Jesus. And I know that you love Jesus. But I'm not sure the world would always know it by the way we obey. Because sometimes I don't obey the way I want to obey. And I'm assuming that you don't always obey like you want to obey. And Jesus knows that about us. 
So he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Because here's the thing about the Christian life. It's not difficult. It's impossible. You can't do it. Only Jesus could do it. And he knows that you in and of yourself with your own abilities, you can't do it. We don't have it in us to live the kind of life that we are called to live. We can't do it unless the Holy Spirit is in us. And that's what Jesus promises. Ready or not, here he comes. He comes because I do love Jesus. Because I do want to obey those commands of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit helps me and empowers me to be obedient. Because, again, the reality is we all love Jesus. I know my audience. We all love Jesus, but we all struggle in the area of obedience. Just because we love Jesus doesn't automatically make doing the right thing come natural. Jesus is Lord, yes. Sin's penalty has been paid. But sin's power is still at work. Satan is still alive and well. You know that old saying that Satan didn't die in the baptistry when you were baptized is true. We are constantly going to struggle with temptation and with sin. And we can't fight that with just a woulda, coulda, shoulda, I'm going to do better tomorrow mentality. And yet that's often exactly what we do. To many Christians, we just try and deal with temptation. We try to deal with sin all on our own. We try to deal with it with the exact same resources that we had before we became a Christian. And we think we're going to be successful. A couple years ago, there was a lawsuit in Narrows, Virginia. A local chapter of the ACLU sued the local high school because the local high school had the Ten Commandments posted on a wall. And the local judge, hearing the case, came up with a compromise. He said, just take the first four commandments off the wall. Leave the rest of them. Leave the, leave the six. But take all the commandments that have anything to do with God off the wall. Now, here's the problem with that approach. You can't find the motivation. You can't find the inner strength to obey those ethical commands, honor your father and mother, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, you won't have any motivation to do that when you take God out of the equation. You won't have a reason to be obedient when you remove God from your life. So Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit... Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? The key to obedience is not to try harder in our own human effort. It's to submit more deeply to the helping power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Live according to your new life in the Spirit. Now, we accepted the death of Jesus, right? 
That's what Romans 6 is talking about, right? We participated in that death and we were buried in baptism. But we didn't just accept Jesus' death. We also participated when we came out of those waters. We participated in the resurrection. We were raised in newness of life. That's Romans 6. We need to accept the life of Jesus. The life that grants us the, the power to live our lives in a new way. Listen, you don't keep the commandments of Jesus by focusing on the commands. Pharisees tried that. They couldn't do it. You don't keep the commands by focusing on the commands, but by focusing on keeping your heart in tune with Jesus, by focusing on the Lord. That's why Jesus would say in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Jesus said, if you keep your life connected to my life, if you allow my life force to flow through your life, you will have the life that you've always wanted to live. And then he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's how some Christians are trying to live their lives. You're trying to live your life depending solely on the resources, on, on our own abilities that we had before we were Christians. We are settling for a natural life. And we're not called to settle for a natural life. We are called to aspire to a supernatural life. But to do that, we're going to need help. And so God sent the Holy Spirit to help us live our lives from the inside out. Now, most people approach obedience, they approach holiness from the outside in. I can force myself. I can will myself. I, I, I can make myself be obedient. And you can for a little while. But you will not sustain that outside-in kind of focus. And I think we all understand what I'm saying because we've all tried it. At some point, we've all recognized things in our lives. We say, that's outside the will of God. And so we grit our teeth. And we say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I'm going to try harder tomorrow. And I'm going to force myself to do the right thing. And we do. For a time. But it ultimately results in temporary behavior modification. Because we just can't sustain that kind of focus. And that's what religion tries to do. It tries to work from the outside in. It tries to mold your behavior. It is rule-oriented. It is guilt-motivated. And it is very short-lived. Because you're going to get frustrated. And eventually you'll give up. The outside-in approach always reduces freedom. Because when you claimed Jesus as Lord, when you accepted His saving grace, when you are baptized into Christ, you were made free. But sometimes we don't know what to do with freedom. It intimidates us. And we're not that unlike those Pharisees that we like to roll our eyes and complain about back in the end of the first century. Because we too, we build all these fences around our freedom. 
Years ago, the Denver Zoo was gifted a polar bear on the condition that they would make a suitable habitat for that animal. And they started constructing this habitat, but, but they were given the bear before the habitat was quite finished. And so for a while, this bear was forced to live in a relatively small cage. And all he could do was take three steps and turn around. And take three steps and turn around. And when the exhibit was finally completed, it was beautiful. It had a pond, it, it had a waterfall, it had a cave, it had everything a bear would want. And they released the bear into this exhibit. You know what he did? He took three steps and turned around. And he took three steps and turned around. He had lost the capacity to enjoy the freedom that he had. I grew up in a church that ignored the Holy Spirit. And if you ignore the Holy Spirit, how are you going to motivate people to live their lives to a higher standard? There's only one way. Legalism. It's outside in. And it is a rule-making, rule-keeping environment. But I want you to notice something about the message of Jesus. Go back and read the Gospels. Jesus' focus was never, stop doing that. You need to quit. I'm going to send you to time out. No more soup for you. You know, that was not Jesus' focus. Obedience will always be a struggle if we are focused just on what we're trying to get out of our lives, remove from our lives, instead of focused on what we're trying, who we're trying to fill our lives with. There's a key difference. You're all familiar with a, a, a very old, very well-used uh, visual. Um, it's a classic, but the classics are classics for a reason, because they're good, and we remember them. So I'm showing you an empty glass, but you know that the glass isn't really empty. There is something inside the glass. There's air in here, right? And so the example is, imagine that air being the things in your life that you're trying to remove. The temptation, the things that you struggle with. You want that out of there. How do we get the air out of this glass? Well, there's a couple ways we can do that. One, we can cover it up and apply a suction and, and we can create a vacuum and, and we can suck the air out of this glass, right? But the problem with that is, to get all the air out, we're probably going to crack the glass. Probably going to shatter the glass. It's a pretty cheap glass. Or we could take the glass to outer space. Problem with that is, you got to get to outer space. Right? But you all have seen this before, and you know there's a very easy, very simple way to get all the air out of this glass. You just fill it with something else. All the air, except where I didn't quite get it completely full, all the air is out of the glass. It was as easy as that. And that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you with His presence, His joy, His love, so much so that there's no room for all that other stuff. And all that other stuff just loses its power. 
And I'll say it again. It is always going to be a struggle. Obedience is always going to be a struggle if we are so focused on what we're trying to get rid of instead of who we're trying to fill our souls and our hearts with. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer is for mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Now, what exactly does that mighty inner strength look like? How is that going to play out in our lives? And we've talked about that for the past month. But I'll give you another, a few other quick examples. You know those inner nudges that you feel from time to time to do the right thing? When you feel like, I, just, I need to make this call. I ought to send them a card. Those nudges to start a conversation with a complete stranger... To talk about God, to, to brag about Jesus. Those, those nudges to get out of your comfort zone and serve someone. That's the Holy Spirit. It also includes those times when your heart gets convicted because you've done something, you're considered doing something that you know is outside the will of God. And again, I've said this before, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you still feel that pain. It means you're still connected to the Spirit. Another thing the Holy Spirit is going to do when you turn Him loose in your life, He's going to increase your hunger for the Word and for prayer and for authentic fellowship. Now we talk a lot here about being a 242 congregation. We want to be in each other's lives. We want to do more than just come to a building, sit in this chair and stare at the back of somebody's head for an hour and then get in our car and go home. We want to be an encouragement to someone. We want to strengthen someone in the Lord. We want other people to strengthen us in the Lord. The Holy Spirit works in that. Another thing the Holy Spirit is going to help you do from the inside out, it's going to help you recall Scripture. You know, you're in a conversation, or you're in a situation, and a passage comes to your mind. This is like, it's like the perfect verse for this, for this conversation. Just maybe think of a, of a story in the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is also going to help keep your mind focused on the things of God. Where does your mind go when it kicks into neutral? When the Holy Spirit is at work, your mind goes towards God. And you will never meet a temptation that is stronger than the Holy Spirit's capacity to help you in that temptation. I had it on the board just a minute ago, but let me remind you of Galatians 5.16. I advise you to live your new life according to the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. What the Holy Spirit is doing is turning have to into want to. You know... Outside, in, focus, that, that's have to. I have to do this. But when the Holy Spirit takes over, that have to turns into, I get to. I get to live this life. I get to follow Jesus. I get to keep these commandments. 
And I think that's when life gets exciting. I think that's the full life that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10. We're all familiar with Galatians 5, verse 22. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Have you ever noticed that those are basically expressions of love? Well, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is kind, love is patient, love is self-control. My problem has never been my desire to love. I've always had the desire to love. That's not my problem. My problem is I don't have the power to love. Unless it's natural. Now I can love naturally. And by that I mean people who are just like me. People who look like me. Act like me. Think like me. Vote like me. People who like me. People who are likable. People who are lovely. I can love them. I can do that all by myself. I don't need anybody's help. But it's not natural to love people who are different than me. It's not natural for me to love people who are annoying. It's not natural for me to love people who have hurt me. But the Holy Spirit helps. He helps us love from the inside out. Because what I need to love supernaturally, you know what I need? I need more patience. And I need more kindness. And I need more gentleness. I need more self-control. For me to love supernaturally, I need more of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, this is great. This is so good. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. That is such a great verse. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When I love in the fullness that God has poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit, I find myself very easily obeying the commands of Jesus because the commands of Jesus always point towards love. In fact, let's go back to John chapter 15. Let's go back to the upper room. Jesus says in verse 12, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Here's my, not suggestion, here's not my opinion, here's my command, love each other as I have loved you. Remember, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? Love God, love people. Everything else hinges on that. And just in case you miss it, five verses later, he doubles down in verse 17, this is my command. Love each other. There is no greater gift than the empowering of the Spirit with us giving us the capacity to love people the way Jesus loved people. Not just the people that are easy to love. Again, I can do that all by myself. I don't need any help. But the people that are hard to love. 
To love when it's hard. It's not natural. That kind of love is supernatural. I think I've told you before that I grew up in the Christmas tree capital of the world. It's true. Our county uh, built itself as the Christmas tree capital of the world. And I don't know if that's the reason, but I have always had a live Christmas tree in my home. Every year. Every year I've been alive, I've had a live Christmas tree in my home at Christmas time. Martha and I have continued that tradition. We've always had a live Christmas tree. And they're beautiful. You know, Martha decorates them with lights and ornaments, and they look great. But of course, we all know the problem with live Christmas trees, right? They're cut off from the source of life. They're not alive anymore. And no matter how good they look in early December, by the time we drag them out in January, there's more needles falling on the floor than there are still on the tree. And that dry, dead tree burns very quickly, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah. But a fruit tree, it is connected to its life source, just continues to produce fruit month after month, year after year. All religion can do is decorate you on the outside. Yeah, people look at you and say, well, you look great. Nice looking family. But if that's all it is, you're dry. Cut off from your life source. The Holy Spirit wants to transform you from the inside out. And I think that is the greatest miracle of all. A lot of you have asked me, are you going to talk about miracles in the Holy Spirit? I'm talking about them right now, okay? (laughs) Pay attention, because I'm talking about what I believe to be the greatest miracle that the Holy Spirit performs. And just for the record, I believe everything that the New Testament says about the miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But I'm convinced that the greatest miracle is taking a human heart and transforming that heart into the heart of Jesus. To help us be more like Jesus. That is miraculous. The fruit of the Spirit is miraculous. To be gentle when everybody else is being rough. To be patient when everybody else is annoying. To be self-controlled when everybody else is losing it. To be kind when they don't deserve kindness. That is supernatural. And the flesh will never lead you to be that kind of person. You will never become that kind of person all by yourself. So maybe we need to, we need to rethink our position on miracles, right? You look back at the New Testament, everyone that witnessed a miracle wasn't necessarily transformed. But every time the Holy Spirit works to transform a heart, it's a miracle. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Obedience is a gift. And it looks like Jesus. As Christians, we can choose to take three steps and turn around. And take three steps and turn around. Or we can choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To to allow the Spirit to miraculously work at transforming our hearts. Changing us from the inside out. Ready or not, here he comes. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we're not asking for a law and we're not asking for a rule. We're asking for help. We're asking for the Holy Spirit to help us be more obedient. Jesus told us that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And for too long, we've been trying to do it apart from Him. So Father, would you help us right now to connect or maybe reconnect to His power, His life, His Spirit. Do something in us, God, that we can't do by ourselves. Help us to live and to love and to serve miraculously. We are nothing without Jesus. So fill our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful name that I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and be standing and we'll sing.